Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to HuffPost's brand new weekly podcast, Am I Making You Uncomfortable? Presented by me, Brogan Driscoll. And me, Rachel Moss. This podcast is a frank, honest conversation about women's bodies, health and private lives. This week, we'll be talking about drinking and whether now is the time to change our relationship with alcohol. When it comes to drinking, I'd probably say I'm more of a tea timer than a teetotaler. Having kids has probably got something to do with it, but there's nothing like opening that bottle of wine and pouring yourself a glass as you're slopping the spaghetti bolognese on the plate, especially when you've done a whole day of homeschooling during lockdown. I would like to be a teetotaler. I'd like to get up in the morning and spring out of bed and have clear skin and consume less calories and have a jelly belly, but that temptation of opening that bottle of wine early evening is just um, too much of a treat. I think just what I love about getting drunk with my friends is how much we laugh when we have pre-drinks before we're going out. You can just tell from like an hour in when there's music on, everyone just starts laughing their head off and you tell like funny stories and more things come out when you're drunk. I mean, I love dancing and singing ridiculously loudly, but I also just love being around a group of people who just finds everything hilarious. In my 20s, I could down pints and buckets of wine with the best of them. And in my 30s, I was still drinking quite regularly. But in my 40s, with the onset of perimenopause, I found that my relationship with alcohol changed dramatically. What I found now was that it just made me feel tired and grumpy, and the hangovers were really bad. And now I rarely drink at all. And actually, what that's done has really made it easier for me to to manage all of the other changes that come with perimenopause, like anxiety and low mood. If I'm not drinking, all of those things are easier to manage. If you want to follow the conversation, use the hashtag AIMYU. So drinking and alcohol and women is a fun topic to be recording in the morning. Um, (laughs) But Brogan, when was your first kind of time getting drunk? What are your early boozy memories? I think that's a fun place to start. I was one of those uh, naughty little kids who used to go to the park and uh, (gasps) get drunk in the playground. Like literally my whole, from about... I don't know, 13. Yeah, I mean, I say outrageous, but it's very common, isn't it? Like a lot of people did that. I think I did it twice, but I never really got drunk. I was a bit of a goody goody. I kind of went and like sipped a Bacardi Breezer very slowly. So no one knew I wasn't like really taking part. (laughs) So pathetic. That soon went downhill at uni, though, as we all know. Like, There were some people who seemed to arrive at my uni who had like never drunk before. It was so normalised, not just to drink, but to get absolutely off your face, wasted. Like it was, uh, when you think about it now and the sort of quadruple shots that some places did or how for this hour only drinks are a pound. I just, I dread to think how much alcohol I consumed in those three years. In my early 20s, kind of realised that I was sometimes still um, drinking like I was at uni 
I I still go out and I still get drunk and I still get tiddly and dance around and sing with friends because I love that but I never want to get to the state where I don't know where I am anymore and um, I actually had a night where it was a real eye-opener that like I need to rein this in now and it was a few years ago and as you know I live up towards Cambridge um, so I'd often on a Friday night get the last train home at five past one from King's Cross and I've, I've missed the last train a few times and when you're with friends that's fine you just laugh and you say oh I'll crash on your sofa and it's not a big deal but that happened when I was by myself. So I was at the station by myself at like 10 past one. I was like, oh my God, I've missed the train. And then I rang a couple of my friends and because they were also drunk, they didn't answer their phones. And just having that realization that you're a woman by yourself in London in the middle of the night and you don't know where you're going to stay and you're thinking the next train is at 6 a.m. It was, eventually I got through to someone and it was fine, you know, but it was, it was a very sobering moment where I was like, I don't want to get in this state again because it's not fun anymore. So it's not that I've stopped drinking at all, but I definitely have a bit of a pause button now where I think, do I want my third glass of wine of the night or shall I move on to water? You know, I've like got that conscious thought now that I never used to have. And because like there's like obviously this huge sobriety movement that started, I mean, mm. obviously it's been going for a long time, but in a kind of millennial Instagram way, it's kind of like a new trend that's taken off, should we say. Um, so for anyone who doesn't know, mindful drinking or being sober curious is about being, I guess, more aware of how much alcohol you drink. Um, and it's also um, a great movement that creates space for people to explore their relationship with or without boozing. Um, and when I kind of read about that, or when I see people doing it, I do think, oh, maybe I should do that. But then I'll kind of think ahead to like a social calendar and think, oh, but like it's somebody's birthday or we're supposed to be doing that or like I'm going on holiday and so there never seems to be like a right time to assess you know your your um, relationship with alcohol so I think that yeah a lot of people I don't know if anyone resonates with that but like right now without with an empty social calendar maybe people can be a bit like hmm what would you say your relationship with alcohol is like now Brogan I guess it's quite a hard question actually because I think that technically I'm a binge drinker and I don't really like that label because it kind of like, you know, brings up idea, you know, um, high streets with people puking all over the floor. And I mean, I probably when I was younger, I've been that person, but I don't like go out and get absolutely wasted anymore. But I still do probably drink more than recommended by the GP. I guess it's like important to point out that this isn't like a finger wagging exercise where we're going to like demand everyone to go teetotal. Um, Rachel and I definitely enjoy a drink um, and feel that you are strong believers that you can have like positive relationships with alcohol. I guess this is just more of like lockdown and the fact that, you know, there's light, you know, all of our recycling bins are clinking with bottles of beer or wine or whatever it might be um it's just like a good time to reflect and think about like how much we are drinking because you can actually see it you know you can see the the vessels uh lining your recycling bin so it's just a good time to have a bit of a chat um about it We 
are now joined by Angela Matanda, who is a broadcaster, social scientist and relationship psychologist. Angela, thank you so much for joining us. We're really excited to have you on. I'm really excited to be here. <laughs> it's good. Um, we were talking earlier about our own relationships with alcohol and how they were when we were younger and how they are now. I am trying to be a bit more of a mindful drinker. And I'm a massive binger. Sorry, I had to. I'm a big binge drinker. Always have been. <laughs> Is it one of those sharing circles? Because I love that. Great, because I was about to ask, what's what's your personal relationship with Boo, if you don't mind telling us? It's weird, because I think I'm quite unusual in that I don't drink very much. And when I first went to university, um, my best friend and I just had a couple of shots, ended up in a hedge. Oh and it's gosh. like literally two, yeah, we just, and I think we were there till the early hours of the morning. And um, I thought I really can't handle alcohol very well. And it's been like that ever since that I have half a glass of wine and I'm there. I'm in that good mood and I don't need any more because any more and I'm asleep. <laughs> and my daughter calls me a lightweight because she's just gone to university and she just finds me all kinds of embarrassing. <laughs> so that's my relationship. I don't drink very much and I can't drink very much. Obviously, a lot of people turn to alcohol as like a coping mechanism to kind of help them with various aspects of their life um could you kind of talk to us a bit about some of the main drivers for that and like what is it about alcohol specifically that's so attractive to people when it comes to dealing with problems or glossing over things well alcohol is a depressant isn't it and I think also sometimes people use it as a way like you say as a coping mechanism and because it's socially acceptable certainly clients I work with you know, if everybody else around you is drinking to be social and you're drinking to cope with anxiety or feelings of depression or stress or a loss, um, no one's going to look at you and say, hey, you need to put that down. You know, it's part of social culture. And, you know, when clients come, one of the first things I do on an assessment is to ask how much you're drinking because I need to work out whether it's a it's a sociable thing, whether you drink at all or whether it's a crutch or whether you've got a dependency on it. And it often takes some time, you know, teasing it out of someone. So how much do you drink in an average week? And people say, oh, a little bit. Well, what's a little bit? Oh, you know, like the same as everybody else. <laughs> yeah. What's the same as everybody? So there is this embarrassment about it when you are confronted, you know, stone cold sober with that question, because I think at that point, somebody knows whether they're using it as a coping mechanism, something that they depend on in order to cope with the day. And certainly during lockdown, I mean, I've heard that anecdotally so many times people are drinking a lot more because lockdown has been incredibly stressful for most of us. Mm. So, and also there's boredom, people yeah. are bored and it's like, I don't know what to do with my time. I've lost my structure. I've lost my routine. Alcohol feels like a good thing to do. Mm. And it feels like a treat, doesn't it? We've kind of been yeah. taught that alcohol is a way to treat yourself so I wonder whether you know in lockdown maybe that's part of it as well or you know on a Friday night after a long yeah. week at work you have it as a treat absolutely I think a treat it's a reward and also you, you think about that coming of age it's your 18th it's your 21st it's your wedding anniversary it's your bar mitzvah whatever it is we've got hey let's get the alcohol out because it feels like it's something that brings people together and we can it's a celebration isn't it and a couple of units and it's a celebration because we get a little bit warmed up 
feel a little bit looser. You know, the heart races a little bit, you know, the blood vessels open. We feel that warm glow, get a little bit more chatty. So we feel a little bit more sociable. More than that, depending on your level of tolerance and things can start to go a little bit awry. Mm. I guess considering we've kind of spoken about how alcohol is used in many contexts, um, how do you know when drinking has become a problem, like for yourself and maybe with others? Yeah, I think that's a really good question, a really big question as well, because often if you are the person drinking a lot, it might not be you that's picking up on the signs. It's often people around you and they may start saying things like, wow, you were really out of control. You got really aggressive. It might be, oh, I can smell alcohol on your breath at 11 o'clock in the morning. You know, you might be contacting people going, hey, who wants to go out for a drink? And it's it's 9 a.m. Um, so people, other people around you who love you and care about you may start picking up on it people at work may start picking up on it you may start arriving late for instance making excuses to to leave early things like that you know friendships may get strained because you haven't picked up on it but your friends are saying you know what every time we go out with you you're dancing on the tables you're falling down drunk you're kissing every guy on the you know on the dance floor and they might start off joking but they might be trying to get a point across to you that perhaps you don't want to hear and there's a great amount of denial I mean who wants to have people say it's it's really hideous going out with you or we're really worried about you so I think sometimes just taking a step back and am I using alcohol or is alcohol using me Mm, that's so interesting we're um we're focusing specifically on women and alcohol today, particularly because women in the UK are among the biggest consumers of alcohol in the world, which I find slightly mind-boggling. Um, we had to catch up. <laughs> yeah. So, do you think there's any social um, issues, or what's going on there? Basically, why might women? be more inclined to to drink women are catching up you know Mm. we're working more we go out more we have more freedoms and women are in charge of their own lives and I think it's being normalized as um what does my daughter call it prinks she has prinks (laughs) I love prinks free drinks free drinks yeah Mm. so I drink before I go out to drink and that's become a normal social behavior so we get a little bit merry before we go out (laughs) so then you start to see you know other groups of girls doing that and before you know it's common behavior and I think that's where you've seen the growth a lot of people say that um there's marketing around alcohol aimed towards women. I think that a lot about the like gin in a tin that you get at like train stations or like in little um, like local Sainsbury's and stuff. Do you think that that's kind of a contributing factor here? Yeah, I think how alcohol is marketed is a contributing factor. You can't ignore the influence of that. The skinny girl margarita directed straight at us girls and you know that's a whole lifestyle thing it looks fun it looks engaging and you buy into it but what you don't see is you know coming out of the pub and and vomiting straight down your front falling into a cab you know being hung over the room spinning so you feel completely sick you know missing deadlines that's not marketed to us the yeah. other stuff is the, the good time and the fun time because it's sold as a lifestyle. It's sold as an aspiration. It's sold as me and the girls. And we we, we want to be part of the conversation. Every week on the podcast, we ask listeners to get in touch and tell us about their experiences 
of the topic we're talking about. I have a couple of close family members who are long-term alcoholics and this knowledge is something I carry around with me with a desire to not turn out like that. However, I still binge drank at parties or at the pub on a Friday night with my friends for years and I thought it was just the dumb thing. I couldn't imagine life without it. But since Christmas last year and especially since lockdown, my attitude towards alcohol has changed because I feel like I can have fun and be an interesting person to others to want to talk to even without a drink. Um, because my life isn't centred around after work drinks and bottomless brunches, but I'm still me. I've still got friends, even without a wine glass in my hand. Um, and most of all, I realised I just got sick of the hangovers, like just the pure waste of time lying in bed waiting for the room to stop spinning. So I haven't completely stopped drinking. Um, and I don't, I'm not sure I plan to, but I think my attitude towards alcohol has, has seriously matured. That's obviously a really positive ending to that experience. But she's she touched on at the start about how her um, family relationship with alcohol maybe influenced her. Is that something you hear a lot with people that you speak to? Oh, definitely. And and I think children brought up in households where alcohol is a way of life or there is an alcoholic, they're two to four times more likely to drink to excess as well. Because it's habitual, they've seen they've seen it, they've been around it, it's normalized. We don't know if there's a biological aspect to it. There's certainly an environmental, psychological, emotional attachment to that because that's what you've seen, let's say, your parents do. But I think what's so interesting is somebody who has had a period where they've disconnected from the way they were operating before with drinks after work and during lockdown have had uh, the opportunity to reframe that experience and go, you know what, I don't actually need it and has actually broken the habit. And that's that's a hugely positive life changing step to take. You know, that's often what I say to clients. You need to change the behavior. You need to step away and have a look at it. As Ella just said, like her, they've had the opportunity during lockdown to to reflect on their life and their habits and what makes them happy and what brings them down. And from what she said, that's that's exactly what she's done, which is amazing. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the first step there, because the next thing I was going to ask you is if anyone's listening to this and is thinking, oh, maybe it is a bit of a time for a reset. How would you go about implementing those behavioral changes or maybe just reassessing and recognizing what your own relationship with alcohol is? My mantra is all about self-awareness, because if you don't know what you're doing, you can't stop. And that's why I say keep a diary just so so you've got an anchor on what exactly am I doing and why am I doing it? And then, you know, you can start by cutting back a little bit, um, get help from your GP, talk to a therapist, you know, talk to your friends, get your friends on board. Because if you have good positive support about changing behavior, you know, you're more likely to, to, to continue down that route. You know, you don't want to be surrounded by people saying, oh, come on, it's not <laughs> yeah. that bad. That's unhealthy. They're not uh-huh. on your team. So choose your team carefully. We ask all of our podcast guests the same question every episode, which is what makes you uncomfortable? Oh my god, that's that's a really tough question. So we've had um a small talk, we've had pantomimes, we've had parties where you don't know anyone, then uh we've had emotional vulnerability. Um yeah, we've had loads of different ones. 
This is really an uncomfortable question. Is it being put on the being spot? Being put on the spot <laughs> makes me uncomfortable because I have to be, I have to really think about myself. Because you see, this is the thing. I'm often thinking about other people. Mm. So putting myself in the spotlight and talking about me makes me a little uncomfortable. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us today. I'm not a massive drinker, I was never a massive drinker, but then um, when lockdown started, found I was having a couple of glasses of wine each night, uh, and it was nice, it was fun, we would sit outside in the garden, and um, it was, you know, like being on holiday, but then the morning, the next morning, I wasn't getting hangovers so much, it was the crippling anxiety, I just, some days was struggling to even get out of bed, so worked out that it, it was the alcohol, um, obviously something to do with lockdown as well, but decided there and then just not drinking anymore and um, as much fun as it was at the beginning I feel a lot better now for not drinking. I used a lot of class A drugs when I was around 17, 18 at college and that was usually mixed with alcohol but sometimes not. When I got to uni we'd go on more normal nights out like to the pub and I would get drunk still but I would just feel really down inside. I'm 22 now and I think that alcohol definitely depresses me so I don't tend to drink really at all unless it's an incredibly special night because I don't like the feeling of being drunk you know but I don't want to miss out so I go clubbing sober to bars and stuff and I actually kind of find it quite fun because I can remember everything. I can laugh along with my friends if they're getting too tipsy. I think it's funny. And I can just get in my car and drive home. And of course, there's no hangover, which obviously is a bonus. We're now joined by Laura Willoughby, who is co-founder of Club Soda, which offers online resources, meetups, a podcast, and much more to help people change their relationship with alcohol. She's also part of the Mindful Drinking Movement and is the co-founder of Queers Without Beers, which is London's first alcohol-free night for LGBTQ plus people. Laura, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. All the stuff you've done is super, super cool. Let's start with Club Soda. Can you tell us a bit about why you wanted to set that up and how it all came about? Yeah, so I gave up drinking about eight years ago. And once I started speaking to people, they asked me how I did it, how they could do it. Did they need to do it? Because if I did it, should they do it? And all of those sorts of questions. And I knew where all the drug and alcohol services were, but I never used them because I didn't think they were really for me. And I realized there was a gap for something to support people to do a self-guided journey to change their drinking. Because for many of us, we don't need that face-to-face heavy intervention. What we need to do is know that we're not alone. Yeah, absolutely. And you said you stopped drinking eight years ago. So do you not drink at all now? No, I'm not interested in it. I've been there. I've done that and definitely got the (laughs) T-shirt. And so um, I enjoy much more the life I have now. And so I've got no need to go back. Rachel and I were chatting earlier about our own kind of experiences of drinking and attitudes to drinking. And I guess um, what we love so much about your strapline is helping people to change their drinking, whether they want to cut down, stop for a bit or quit. Because what we're kind of 
keen to do with this podcast is not make this kind of you know like a finger wagging exercise or like trying to encourage people to to quit completely if that's not really where they're at and where they want to be why was the kind of mindful drinking movement something that appealed to you and like why was that kind of what you wanted to offer with your work there was a very good reason why I didn't want club soda to be just about abstinence only and that's Mm. because I went through loads and loads of goes at trying to cut down and moderate my drinking and the thought that we'd create something where it's all or nothing and if you ended up drinking you'd be thrown out of the club seemed a bit ridiculous to me also nearly all the tools and techniques are the same regardless of your goal it's just actually a little bit harder if you're trying to moderate because it means you've still got alcohol in your life and most importantly is it's not my job to tell anybody what to do I just want to help them get to where they want to be For me, it was about being very broad. And that's quite important because a lot of our personal identities are tied up with our drinking. Mm. And changing identity when you decide to change your drinking is very difficult. And so to start putting hard and fast labels on things, um, I think isn't particularly helpful. Yeah, absolutely. It's really nice that you have helped people to explore that balance. I think it's definitely something that I would benefit from um, need to come to a club so to meet up when social distancing is uh, no longer in place. You have to come to the festival. Oh, that would be lovely. We've done seven festivals, which are absolutely amazing. And, and that's probably one of the best places to come to get tips and hints and also to taste new drinks. Yeah, that market has boomed, hasn't it? Yeah, and we're leading it in the UK. Can you imagine? Hardest drinking nation. And we are the fastest growing market for low and no alcohol drinks. And most of the people buying those drinks are people who are looking to moderate their drinking. Yeah, it's great. There's so many fun options. Um, Speaking of fun options, I know you've also set up Queers Without Beers, which is lovely, inclusive space for people who are sober curious or are interested in mindful drinking. Can you tell us a bit about the need to create that space? Why did you think that was needed? Well, we were we are a queer run company and we wanted to do something to give back to the community. And we actually teamed up one January with London Friend to offer an end of dry January sort of social and absolutely tons of people turned up. And so it's gone from there, really. And we have partners now in Bristol and Manchester who run the chapters there. And so just as much as it's about helping queer people navigate a very alcocentric world and do things differently, um, it's also about saying, well, how can we change socialising so it's more inclusive? Mm. And actually, if you really drill down to where we are in Club Soda, it's all about creating equality. It's about saying you should be free to go out with your mates and for them not to take the mick out of you if you're not having a drink or to judge you. Mm. And also the places that you go to should do better. I know you've got some thoughts as well about the more traditional um, spaces for cutting down or quitting alcohol not being particularly inclusive, you know, the AAs and things like that. Can you tell us anything about that? Somehow we've managed to, as a society, hold on to the idea that there's one method, it's 12 steps, and it was developed over 70 years ago by a man who um, actually didn't believe women could even get drunk. So um, this isn't a bash at AA because it's Mm. been around for a long time and it's helped lots of people. But it's definitely very male-centric. It's definitely based around a disease-based model, which says that you Mm. will have a disease for your whole life. And that's not the model we're on. We, We look at the positives of change and why you might want to change and the life that you want to lead and where alcohol may fit in with that. And so for me, we're a very different beast. And in some ways that suits women a lot more because women seem to look 
for things to help them with self-improvement and their mental health a lot sooner than men do. And so we need to make sure that there's a spread of things that suit different people. And actually, the LGBTQ community has been underserved in that, as has the BME community and people with disabilities. And also, I spend a lot of time talking to women on our community who are full-time carers for children with special needs. And I absolutely feel for them not being able to, to live the life they want to lead and often falling back on drinking in the evening. So... Mm. A lot of issues that we need to address. You mentioned, I guess, some of the reasons there why people binge drink, whether it's kind of social or to kind of help them deal with difficult circumstances. Why is alcohol something that we we always go to for kind of like good and bad? We've been taught that from a very young age. We've been taught that it makes us happier when we want to be happier. It makes us uh, happier when we're sad. It's Mm. absolutely everything. And the thing that I learned most when I gave up drinking, um, and there's a theory around this, which is that, you know, you stop your emotional development once you start drinking because you begin to use alcohol to deal with all of those emotional issues. And so when you give up drinking, you're on like, I call it like a thousand little epiphanies. You actually have to learn to deal with emotions again and not just shut them off. And so if you're going through a difficult time and you start to use alcohol, you can find it, your use goes up in the way that I did when I was in a job that I really didn't enjoy and made me feel very hollow and not the person I thought I was. Once you take yourself out of that and begin to look at it from the outside, it's actually quite scary how much we're constantly bombarded by ways to get us drunk. I often find that uh, women in particular who come through Club Soda have got to the point where they don't drink every day, but when they start, they find it difficult to stop. Despite the fact that they may take themselves away from social pressures, it's still quite difficult to change habits because we probably drink at home a lot more than we'd like to admit. Um, We spoke a little before you came on the show about the stats relating to drinking and the LGBTQ plus community. Um, We know that Stonewall, for example, have found that a third of lesbian and bi women drink three or more times a week compared to 25% of women in general. As a woman who works in the alcohol field and is also part of that community, do those stats concern you at all? Yes, I mean, they do concern the whole community. It's actually something that's spoken about quite openly. And don't underestimate how alcohol goes hand in hand with all sorts of other mental health issues around anxiety and depression and other stuff as well. So it doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise anybody. But the question is, is what do we do about it? I think there's a generational shift, just the same as there is with people who identify as heterosexual, which is younger people are drinking less because they're far more concerned about their mental health and understand how alcohol impacts on that. And then you've got my generation. So I'm 46 now who have been drinking a lot for a long time because it was very normalized and now need to stop. And those are two different things that we need to take into account. And for me, you know, pre-internet dating age, turning up to the one woman only club in London, you never did it without a bit of a skin fall. And then, you know, if you're somebody who struggled to come to terms with your identity and to then come out to people, they're things that you wrestle with for a long time before you speak out loud about them. And so alcohol also becomes ever present as you would do if you had other mental health and identity issues. And then I think if you're not determined to go on to the relationship escalator that society sets out for us, you know, marriage, kids, dog, but it's actually really 
dominant and very stressful in society, then again, that becomes a point of difference, which alcohol can become a way of finding other people like you to socialize with and break down social barriers or to deal with that feeling that you're not doing life right. With all that in mind, what support do you think is is needed? What might help this situation? For me, I've realised that what's most important is people find the right place to go that works for them to change their drinking. There's no one size fits all. That means that club soda may not be right for some people. Queers without beers may be right for queer people. And, and you probably we need a whole load of other solutions. I think the state actually needs to step up a bit and realise there needs to be a patchwork and variety of resources for people so that different things work for different people. They spend a lot of time, you know, putting together their guidance on units, but units tend to only work really well for people who are already not drinking very much just to check that they're not drinking anymore. Nobody who's changing their drinking club soda ever talks about units. It's hard to calculate and not relevant when you're drinking quite a lot. You mentioned earlier uh, some of the changes that have happened over the years. So you grew up as part of the like 90s generation. Um, what are some of the key changes that you've seen over the years, especially with the work that you're doing now and like a younger generation? So 25% of young people aren't drinking at all. And then a lot of them are moderate on top of that. And that's definitely not where it was when I was, you know, 18, 19, 20. And then I guess you get to different people's lifestyle changes. So I think some big changes happened in my 20s. One was that mixed gender socialising came up the agenda. So we went out in mixed gendered groups, drinking together at home in front of TV as a social occasion rather than going out became a big thing. And the price of wine came right down. So that's why I guess there's a big wave of people like Zoe Ball and everyone talking about the fact that they, they're changing their drinking, that, you know, you can eat as much kale as you like, but you've really undone all the hard work if you're knocking back a bottle of wine in the evening. Do you kind of sometimes get those annoying comments about not drinking or how do people tend to react if you're on a night out and you say, no, I don't drink? Well, there was a few things that were really important. When I told my best friends that I was going to do something about my drinking and I'd got a plan in place, the look of relief on their face was you know it was there and so if I ever needed support they were actually there but I I see that this is a real issue for people they feel under pressure but actually nobody would be upset if you all made a different decision we are in charge of our own health nobody's got permission to tell you what to do whether that's to make you go running or to stop you know to make you drink and so taking control of your health is a really important thing to do and it's it's actually nobody else's business but I do think you can probably bring your friends on side by, you know, letting them know that you're doing something for a very particular reason. But I'm doing this because I want to improve my health. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Laura, there is a question that we ask everyone to round off the podcast. And that is what makes you uncomfortable? So on a day to day basis, there's lots of people who talk about the best way to run a business and how to scale your business and to make things work and trying to resolve our ethics and what we think is important alongside making something sustainable is, is a really difficult thing. And those are awkward conversations that I don't think I've ever managed to resolve. I can tell you, um, putting a duvet over my head to record a podcast makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> if you if you were going to, sometimes people kind of hesitate because they're not quite sure what to say. And I was going to suggest maybe the fact that you are sat underneath the duvet. It's, it's warm. 
warm in there. <laughs> oh, thank you so, so much for joining us today, though. It was so brilliant to have you. So much to think about. It's a fascinating yeah. subject and people can get in touch with us at Club Soda. I, I respond to all the emails eventually. So yeah, people can find us on joinclubsoda.com. Amazing. Thank you. That's it this week from Am I Making You Uncomfortable? Please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a lovely review. I'm Rachel Moss and you can find me at Rachel Moss underscore. And I'm Brogan Driscoll and you can find me at Brogan underscore Driscoll. You've just listened to Am I Making You Uncomfortable? Hashtag A-I-M-Y-U. This podcast is produced by Crystal Genesis. Our assistant producer is Rachel Porter and our sound engineer is Nag Karinde. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.